Hello, I'm Nicholas Lorenzo, and welcome to After Mastery, a show where we share in the stories of artists, producers, engineers, and managers about what happens after mastering for you to learn from and make informed decisions when it comes to your next release. Today, I have Mr. Lawrence Larson in with us today. Welcome, and thank you for coming on board. Hello, hello. Good to be here, Nick. Um, Lawrence has a very, very interesting story, a very, very interesting story, because at the moment he is currently living in Taipei and he does a lot of Mando pop, Chinese indie sort of pop. So he's a very exciting character um, originally from New Zealand. So would you like to intro yourself and give give the people a little bit more of an in-depth backstory about, you know, who is this man on the other side of the ocean? Hello, hello, everyone. Yeah, my name's Lawrence. Uh... I guess I should I should do a Chinese introduction as well, right? Just to mess, spice it up a little bit. So, 大家好,我是罗一恒. So, I have a Chinese name here that I go by, which is Yihen, which is kind of my uh, artist slash producer name here in uh, China slash Taiwan. And um, yeah, I guess I've actually been living in Beijing for the last five years and I'm um, doing a kind of mixture of things over there. Originally, when I was back in New Zealand, um, I grew up in an area with like a lot of um, Chinese friends and that kind of got me into the, just listening to a lot of like C-pop music. So originally I was studying pop music back at Auckland University and that was kind of like my entry into the, just the, like getting into that sort of the Chinese music world. And because um, I had like so many Chinese friends back in New Zealand, I sort of picked up Chinese in my second year at uni and um yeah, just started like doing a few cover songs just for just for fun, like online. And um, a few of my Chinese friends started uploading it to the various platforms in China, and it just started blowing up over there. And um, yeah, it was during that time I had a lot of uh, like just various shows and um, performances opportunities, just coming from from China. And it was like I guess coming like being in New Zealand, you don't you have like no concept of that like the music market over there. I mean, I'm sure it's the same in Australia, right? Pretty much our whole music market is orientated around the English and American markets. Yep. It, it, it. And um, yeah, so like to just suddenly start hearing noise coming from over there, um, I thought I might go check it out. So it was, I think it was 20, 2015 or 2014. It was my first time heading over to Shanghai. And I was doing a few, like just kind of these really random TV shows uh, they're like uh, just just these like I guess they're the kind of what people would refer to as the the white monkey kind of shows, where um I guess like because China is quite a still a relatively closed society in in terms of like seeing foreigners and whatnot over there. There's a lot of shows there where they invite foreigners on to just um I guess they they see it as kind of a bit of fun and also just to kind of. Uh, have foreigners share some of their culture and, um, you know, they can share with the Chinese audiences. And so that was like a really cool opportunity that kind of got me even more interested in that market. And it was originally at that point, I got invited by a show that was similar to, I'm sure you've heard of The Voice, right? Yeah. Um, Well, The Voice in China at the time was like one of the biggest TV shows. And so they had bought the license to it as well. And they did a all originals version of that show. So all of the contestants were all singing original songs. And so I prepared some songs that I worked with, with some of my mates back in New Zealand and headed over there. 
And I got into the top six on that show in China, which was like really a like massive launching pad for me into that market. Just like really solidified me as a sort of singer songwriter. So yeah, it was that time I decided to make the move over to Beijing. And from then, uh, it's just been a crazy journey of <laughs> various, going through various studios, um, writing for other artists, doing a bit of TV and movie stuff here and there. And um, yeah, I guess this year I've actually, because of COVID, um, I was originally just stopping through Taipei on my way back to Beijing. And then suddenly in March last year, they just closed the border. So no foreigners could get back into China. And so I was just kind of stuck here in Taipei with a finished album and nowhere to put it out or do any of the release. So yeah, man, I guess like, I guess the good thing about us musicians is that we're very good at adapting and um, music being the universal language. I kind of just used, uh, used my connections here and uh, slowly built up some, yeah, some new connections, made some new friends and yeah, I'm quite comfortable in Taipei at the moment, just um, still moving along. Interesting, interesting. So you still got the album to release, but you have released singles under your name and C-pop singles under your name. Um, did you, when you were back in New Zealand, did you ever know the world of releasing music back in New Zealand or is your, your current music career in terms of releasing music as an artist been purely in the C-pop world? Um, I suppose, like, I guess because I did the pop music course at Auckland Uni and that kind of, we did cover a lot of the sort of, you know, post-release stuff originally, um, just in classes and whatnot. And I suppose like anyone who is releasing music, you sort of pick up things, you know, regarding um, publishing and, um, you know, getting your songs up online, whether it be through uh, Bandcamp or your own distributor. But I guess it was like most of my experience now would be definitely in the Asian market, which I have found does have a very different system to the Western sort of more traditional media. Yeah. And, and what is, what is, what is, you know, like critically different in your eyes about operating in that market? What, what are things that you have to do differently? Um, how do you have to plan differently? What, what are sort of some key markers that you're identifying there? Well, I think one of the key things I've seen, um, whether it be one of the, one of the um, similar or similarities between West and East has been obviously the emergence of social media okay. and the power getting taken away from the record labels. So I guess, um, especially in the Chinese market or the C-pop market, um, the labels maybe 20 years ago had all of the power and it was pretty much like a very formulatic system where pretty much all of the hit songs were coming out of Taiwan and Hong Kong. And, you know, you had the big labels, the big CEOs who were pretty much running those, those labels and distribution paths. So I guess in the last 20 years, um, obviously a lot of this, is, I've only been in the industry for, I guess, seven, eight years. So a lot of it is sort of things I've heard and picked up on, but um, yeah, it's like, Recently, over the last two years, has been the biggest change has been the emergence of TikTok and Douyin. I feel like in America right now, TikTok is only just picking up, but TikTok and Douyin, which is the Chinese name for it, because they have like two separate systems in China and then like the rest of the world, that's been um, like really 
going hard for the last five years now. So a lot of the biggest artists that you're seeing emerging in the C-pop scene are mostly what we refer to as like Wang Hong or Internet Red, which is like your kind of influencers slash those kind of celebrities rather than your, you know, hand-picked um, label artists. Yeah, so that's been a really big difference. But at the same time, I feel it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's, it's certainly opening up the industry to a lot of new people and creating that doorway where you don't have to, you know, you can skip all the middlemen and kind of find your own management and distribution paths. But overall, um, the music quality has really taken a heavy dive in terms of production quality because you are sort of, yeah, you're bypassing a lot of those, those gatekeepers and the people who kept that quality up there. Interesting. So yeah, it's kind of, it's been an interesting kind of change in the, in the music scene I've seen. Yeah, and, and you're super passionate and observant about it. Like you really, really, really love and absorb the culture, um, which I think is helpful yeah. because that way you're aware of everything going around. Um, but I, I do know for one thing, I'm not trying to toot your horn. I do know your music is, is of quality and, and that, so. that's always good. Um, much, much assistance from yourself. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but, but, but I, I want to like sort of bridge that with a mirror because you've got this really good quality music and you're saying like, you know, there's this, oh, my internet connection's a bit unstable. Sorry, mate. Um, Sorry, all good, all good. Um, so yeah, you've got this good quality music and you're talking about being internet red. Um, are you actively and consciously being internet red in, it, it wasn't uh, TikTok, it was Dowie or I can't, I can't remember the name of it, um, but yeah. their version of TikTok, are you actively on there building that internet red hype around the Lawrence Larson brand? Yeah, so I guess for me, like one of the biggest learning experiences that I've had in the last year is um, kind of putting this album together that um, is kind of stuck in limbo at the moment, unfortunately. But um, before, so over the last year, I've sort of been flying from Beijing to Taiwan back and forth doing the recording. And um, at that time, I was working with another producer and another, another manager and pretty much apart from recording, like I saw it as my responsibility to be building up my fan base continuously. So within about the space of six months, I grew up, I grew my TikTok in China from zero to 260,000. And at the same time, building up um, other like Chinese platforms, which would, which one is called Weibo and another called Bijan, which is kind of the Chinese equivalent of YouTube there. Yep. To about 60,000 and I think about 400,000 on those three platforms. Wow. So it was really like just a massive um, push in terms of creating content and that social media rush to try and get some noise before the album was put out. But then, yeah, I made, there were a few, a few bad decisions made on the marketing side of things. And also with COVID coming in where, um, yeah, just, it just was no way for me to get back into China and do the, and follow up with that, that momentum that I created. And um, although, yeah, I mean, obviously the relationship between Taiwan and China is a little bit of a, a sensitive topic, but um, Taiwan in itself is, has its own platforms. Like uh, Taiwan functions on like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, like the rest of the world where China obviously has the, 
the big firewall, which no one can get through. So coming here now to Taiwan, it's kind of been starting from fresh in a way because a lot of the fan bases and platforms that I had in China, I now can't access from Taiwan. And yeah, it's, it's been a really difficult, like a lot of that, I had to rebuild um, like YouTube and Facebook, which I'd kind of neglected for some period of time. So it was definitely a, a bit of a blow, but at the same time, it's allowed me to really understand, uh, but just improve my general like content creation. And I guess at the same time has allowed me to even further expand my horizons and maybe just, I think I've, maybe before I had way too much focus on mainland China rather than, you know, the whole like CPOP market, which would be like even out to like Malaysia and just Southeast Asia and that whole area. And then, you know, like all over the world, I guess as well. Yeah. That, that's actually really interesting because it's almost like two worlds and then there's your music career sort of in the middle of it. But I'm curious from a holistic sense. So looking at everything going on in uh, the superstar Lawrence Larson, um, what is like the overarching sort of journey you're looking to take with your music when you put it out? Is it that it gains traction from mainland China social media, or is it that you have an audience that go over on Spotify and stream a lot on Spotify or you trying to sell tickets to shows or how do you see the long-term sort of growth and richness in what you're doing as an artist being, you know, especially in the future now looking to, you know, observing how sort of um, fragile that, that sort of firewall can make your career. What, what is that overarching sort of journey you're looking to take with Lawrence Larson? Yeah, I suppose, um, the key thing that I've seen for any artist, not just myself, but also looking at other artists that I've worked with is just not to have all your eggs in one basket, whether it be, you know, relying too much on a manager or record label, whether it be building your fan base in one location, like sure you could have a million followers on TikTok, but the next day TikTok could be banned and wherever you are, or, you know, the platform could, something else could be better and overtake it. So I think the best way, well, the way that I've sort of strategized um, my releases whether and my social media is to have as far reaching onto all platforms as possible. The downside obviously to that is that, um, you know, you might, it has been hard at times to like allocate your time as to where you should be putting your energy. Cause obviously every platform has a different kind of um, content or it edges toward, you know, like YouTube would be like they say that like 10 minute kind of longer content or music video sort of content. Whereas TikTok doing, you're only creating, um, you know, under one minute videos. So you want that really like fast attention grabbing sort of stuff. But um, I guess the key for me is I've, I've been a mostly a cover singer up until the last couple of years. So it's really the hardest thing for me has been transitioning uh, from that, I guess, like more internet sort of safe area into a more established artist. And there's, a, there's various routes of doing that. So I guess like for me at the moment, 
Um, unfortunately, like that album, I ran into some issues with my previous team regarding the actual masters, so the copyright on the masters. So I feel like if you get stuck in a position where, like, as in the music industry, shit happens, right? Like, yeah. relationships are always going to be always going to be complicated. But if you get held up on something, I mean, there's just no point in stressing about it. So you just kind of like put it down and keep moving forward. Because the moment you stop and you lose that momentum is when you're like screwed. So, yeah, I guess for me, it was like at the moment I'm, I'm putting together an EP. So it's just about creating one songs that I think are going to resonate with the market to some degree. So obviously, I think the content is number one over everything. So the song has got to be good. It doesn't matter how much effort you put into the, the post and the promotion of the songs and good. Um, so yeah, I believe in obviously like holding our highest level of quality possible. And then after the actual completion of the song, I guess it's just about, um, yeah, how you, how you promote that song, which we can go into a little more detail, but, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so I'm, I'm interested about something because it, oh, not my mic there. I'm, I'm, what I know, what I'm sort of picking up is that it is a sort of constant game with C-pop of being ever present, both in your yeah. writing and songwriting, who you're engaging with, what you're putting together, as well as having probably 25 different platforms for so many different regions and trying yeah. to <laughs> post consistently across them. Because it's because it's a non-stop, because it's like it's not like you can release, go on tour, stop for a bit, and then pick back up. It has to be always ever going. Um, do you find yourself changing pace during campaigns, like leading up to a single, or are you like just staying the same because you're already putting that much stuff out there? Um, I definitely there's definitely a lot of changing pace, yeah. Um it's not out of the box. I mean, like, obviously, there's still the there's still the concept of releasing a full work, and then doing the whole tour, and then you know, like there's there's still that process. Yep. But um, I think like even a lot of artists now are not releasing full albums. It's mostly you know three or four song EPs at the most, and just because the way the um, ecosystem with that just like that fast content at the moment. Yeah, most singers are focusing more on that single release over the full album. But I think there's still that, even though it's become closer, there's still that barrier between, oh, he's that guy who sings the song on the internet and, you know, like the artist. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I, f I feel like there's still that, that kind of barrier. So it's, it's how do you... I mean, both, both ways are fine. Like, I feel there's nothing wrong with going the YouTube route if you want to be, you know, more accessible in terms of, um, you know, releasing different types of content um, and taking that sort of independent musician route. But I suppose for me, like, I, I really want to edge more towards the established artist route. And in, in China and Taiwan, there is a kind of system you have to work through to get into that sort of category, I suppose. So it's a little, it's a little more traditional in the sense of um, the, the way the TV shows work and the artist kind of circle works here. You really have to do the rounds. Like 
it'll be a lot of performances at high schools and um, universities. That's one really great way to share your music with the kind of audience that is more, um, you know, passionate about music and, and sharing things around. Uh, there's the various TV shows, in, especially in Taiwan, and the older stars. Um, I, I suppose just because it's a kind of older market in that sense, like the, the, the stars that were famous 20 years ago here are still just as relevant as they were 20 years ago, which is kind of a strange concept when you sort of think about like how fast things change on a Western platform and the new artists popping up all the time. Yep. But yeah, I guess it's because of that, that cultural shift here and um, that there's not really any labels that are investing in training really top-notch artists. So at the moment, because a lot of the money and the production that was in Taiwan before has now moved into mainland China, they're now a very raw and I mean, there's a lot of money getting thrown around, but and a lot of people catching on to the power of, you know, copyright and things like that. But um, yeah, it's still a very new market. And I think they're still sort of finding their own sound there at the moment. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a very um, volatile market in some senses, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities for new types of music and um, the audience to grow with the actual like growth of the music market. So yeah, it's going to be interesting in the next 10 years to see how those kind of things shift around and change. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Do, do you feel like the fact that China's market is closed off completely to everybody in mainland is a, do, do you think that's a, a benefit to the artists there? Because it's a closed market. There's only those people operating within there. Or do you think it's a hindrance? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Like we actually have this discussion quite a lot among um, a lot of like my other sort of producer friends here. There's a, there's a few benefits. Um, I think that in, in Taiwan, there's a lot of indie music that is coming up out of the, out of the underground at the moment. And I think that people here are a little more open-minded towards what kind of music they're listening to. Um, especially things that have a more sort of, whether it be American or K-pop kind of sound are really coming into the market here now. Whereas I feel like mainland China is still kind of still stuck in that kind of early 2000s era. Like a lot of the music coming out of there is still sounding a little like pop. Um, I guess you would say like, like ballady type music is still sounding very, you know, in sync kind of Backstreet Boys melodic, melodically kind of old school. Yeah. But yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, there's these, a lot of these, um, big shows happening in China, like it's very TV driven. So the shows that are really popular on TV are really driving the music. So there's one at the moment called um, which is like the rap show of China. And a lot of hip hop music, like hip hop music is massive in, in China at the moment. Um, a lot of, yeah, just like all sorts of really cool stuff. And I guess like what I've seen is really cool is they're really get, like, there's some artists that are taking what would be like that real like ghetto in, in China and turning that into their own kind of 
hip hop using like Chinese instruments and like colloquialisms and that sort of that sort of culture mix is a really a really cool thing to see. And um, recently, I guess the big craze, um, like the rest of the world, is K-pop as well, which is the real like king in the in the Asian market at the moment. Yeah, and do do you think creatively? knowing how the two markets interact independently of one another changes the way you write music for them. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite funny actually. Like, um, I guess cause I have been in Beijing for the last five years. So a lot of the things that have influenced me have primarily been the mainland Chinese market. So when I've cause recently, I've got my, my publishing at um, universal. So I've signed with them as a writer. And when I was talking with them, they're like, wow, you're, the stuff that you're writing is great for us to market to mainland China. And I was like, I guess that kind of makes sense because the stuff that what they, I really like R&B sort of music, but they call the kind of R&B that I'd make like fake R&B <laughs> because it's, it's kind of the R&B that you hear from like early Justin Timberlake sort of vibe. Yeah. So, you know, not not heavy and like syncopation, but it has elements of R&B mixed with a very, uh, I guess, yeah, again, like that kind of boy band melodic sort of sound. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I feel like having the opportunity to be here now in, in Taiwan and in Beijing has been really cool because it's allowed me to see both markets and also... Um, I would say improve my own writing so I can expand the sort of markets and artists that I am writing for. That's really interesting. And, and, and maybe another thing to ask is cause, cause I sort of said, you know, like how does it influence you what not, and how do you consider different markets? But outside of the Asian market, do you think, or how do you think, or do you even think at all, about how your music does outside of the whole Asia continent. Is there any consideration to that or is it not part of the game for somebody creating music like you? Um, I think that was one of my biggest mistakes when I was in, in, back in, in Beijing, China, because the market there and the, the people there are like so focused on China that they're not really looking outwards at the moment. Like in the previous studio I was working with, uh, we had one artist that blew up on, on Douyin. Like, I think over, oh man, I don't know. I think it was like getting around the like 500 million share mark. Wow. So just like enormous amount of views on this one song. And the guy I was working with, this was before it like really started taking off. And I was talking to him like, we need to get these songs up on like Spotify, YouTube, you know, otherwise other people are going to just, you know, do the upload and we're not going to be able to claim it. And he was like, oh, I'd rather spend, you know, that time. We can make like all that money in China. Why would I bother looking overseas on these platforms? So there is still that mentality. Like I think only these last couple of years, people have started realizing the power of the international market around C-pop. And, um, yeah, like I think I touched on like K-pop earlier. And I think uh, the thing that K-pop has done that has been so successful besides having obviously national support behind the music 
is that if you're looking for a K-pop song, all the song names are in English, first of all. Yep. All of the artists are easily accessible to foreigners. And um, they often include a lot of like English words or phrases within the songs that can generate those key, you know, key search results. So when you're looking on Spotify, you know, or you're on Google looking for a song you've heard, it's easy enough to find those songs because they'll have a chorus, you know, with like a word in it that is the hook or something. And the, the problem with C-pop is obviously you have all of the song names and Chinese characters. And it's like, where do you start looking for a song like that? It's just very unaccessible to international markets. So I think in terms of the music, like what I'm doing with this EP at the moment is I'm creating an EP that is dual language. So it's going to be English and Chinese, all with English and Chinese song titles. Everything, like I, I actually did a podcast with another producer here and he said, uh, I, I said, do you have any tips for other Chinese artists or in, in Taiwanese artists? And he said, subtitle your music videos. That was his like, you know, his number one recommendation. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's the kind of looking, I, I guess like, again, like coming to Taiwan has been that eye opener for me to see that international audience whether it be live streaming, releasing stuff on YouTube, seeing how many people, like even like Chinese, Taiwanese people there are in the States or all over the world that are like hearing my songs. So yeah, I guess that's the, so it's definitely been an eye opener. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I'm just, I'm just sort of giving your um, Spotify a little bit of a stalk here. Um, so you're, you're most popular, you're most pop. you got 10,000 monthly listeners from Singapore. Then you've got Taipei, then Kuala Lumpur, then Taichung, and then Central Hong Kong. So it's yeah. like all saturated there. Um, that's really interesting. I'm just I'm just absorbing, man, because I I I've only ever worked and had another encounter um, with a Taiwanese producer, and that was mm. pretty fortunate. That was that was actually a pretty big project. I'll link you up with that, but um, I've never had the opportunity to really delve into the brains of what's going on in that world and how it's being operated and you know like you said it like you're going to be internet red like that's mm. you know if you're internet red you, you, you're good for it um out of curiosity do any traditional forms of like independent curated media come into play let's say like blogs or independent radio or playlisters like is there any parallels of those aspects inside the c-pop market that that you have to hit up when it comes to putting things out yeah 100 percent um again i think taiwan's sort of running on a slightly older mentality if there's a there's like a system like if you're an artist here and you want to they call it like like release as yourself as an artist you have to do all the radio shows. So you have to do the radio rounds. And generally, it's, it's kind of, there, there will be fees and, um, you know, things attached to the promotional phase of the album, right? So payola. So, yeah, so there's the payola. Uh, you've got to pay out the radio stations to appear, have your song played on the radio. So that gives you some form of credibility. You've got to do the rounds on the TV shows, the reality TV shows. Yeah. So they have a whole bunch of crazy game shows, um, singing shows that will be all like that. They now sort of 
crossing over into the YouTube space and the television space. Um, so you've got to do the rounds on all of those TV shows. Uh, like I said, there's the school performances. And then there's like what they call it, uh, which would be the um, editorial release. So you invite all the press and you have a kind of mini concert. And that's the kind of traditional album release structure in Taiwan. And then, of course, you'd go on tour around the various live houses and whatnot. Yeah. I'm just curious, is... is, is... Paola smiled upon and openly discussed and just accepted as a way of working there. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's pretty in your face kind of. It's just the way it is kind of vibe. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting because it, it definitely definitely happens in um, the Western world as well. Except it's like really under the books sort of mm. done. Um, so that's really interesting that they're like, yeah, pay to play. It's all cool. They're, they're like yeah. the Instagram think, Instagram curators. Yeah. I think at the same time, the one thing on the other end of that that I've kind of admired in the Asian market is I think you find like in the Western market, if a singer or something starts advertising, you know, like there's the whole sort of drama behind Instagram posts holding products and that sort of thing. And, you know, like I think Western audiences get really annoyed if an artist is constantly holding like, you know, standing next to refrigerators or whatever, like yeah, yeah, or trying Pepsi, to sell products. Yeah. 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 And they'll be like, oh, why are you trying to throw stuff? Like, this isn't about your music. You sell out that sort of, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, response. But in Asia, like the fans really get behind seeing their artists endorsing products. It's a very like opposite kind of mindset. Wow. Okay. So yeah, the fans see the artists like, I mean, it's, it's weird as well because you constantly see like, like I said, like there'll be a band, like there's a massive band here called Mayday and um, they're just constantly standing next to refrigerators and drying machines. And you're like, <laughs> it's that's, just, it seems strange, but, and then it has like their faces just straight up in the shot with their signature across and it's like by our washing machine. You know? <laughs> that is incredible. So out of curiosity, yeah. have you done the radio rounds with your singles in the past? Yeah. Um, at the time, like, I actually stopped working with my original team I had when I came to Taiwan just because of various drama and whatnot. But um, it was there because originally, like, the plan was for me to go back to mainland China where my sort of audience was growing. But um, because at the time, my two partners were Taiwanese, um, they just, like, I was, I was stuck here. So we thought, like, oh, well, the best thing we can do is try the Taiwan route first and do the release here. And um, so we did uh, we did kind of a th three single release. So there's three singles at the moment out. One is called um, Sulame, like, have you eaten yet? The other one is Weiwei Wojing Haole. And so I thought I was okay. And the other one, Sha Shani the Ben Dan, they're like a clumsy, so it's like a clumsy love song. So we released those three songs. And at the time I had like, I'd obviously been back and forwards between Beijing and Taiwan quite a bit, but I had to put like a lot of faith in these guys because I had no idea how any of the system here worked. And um, yeah, just because of COVID and um, just as I started sort of doing the rounds. So we did the whole kind of radio thing and working with them, you know, I, I was obviously putting a lot of money into it and I invested a lot in the album. So I saw a lot of money going out. I didn't see any money coming back in. 
And I was just really unhappy working with them just because of their attitude and, you know, things that I thought should be, you know, really important. Like I was most focused on growing like social media and whatnot. They weren't interested in putting the time into their thought process was, you know, we just need to find an investor, get a whole bunch of money and slam it on advertising. I'm like, you know, that's sure you can do that. But if you don't have a plan behind throwing a whole bunch of money at something, it's just throwing money at a wall and hoping something sticks. And, you know, I don't see that as a viable business strategy. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of ended my relationship with them. So. Yeah, but so that seems like a sort of management of personalities. And at the mm. moment, it, it it sounds like independently on your own, you're, you've got a grasp of what's going on around you because put it this way, I can't really see into how the different Taiwanese platforms and firewall China platforms are operating for you and how that works. But from even what I see on Spotify as a Westerner, you know, you're doing well independently um, to put out what you've been putting out. Cause you know, just as I said, I'm on your Spotify having a stalk, you know, you've got, three million streams on one song and then the rest are peppered with 30 40 50,000 150,000 and you've got 46,000 monthly listeners um mm. which is very good for an independent artist and as i said you got your handle on it as a solo sort of thing understanding what moving parts are going um that said in terms of that process for putting it out obviously you had a team it didn't work that well are you still, you know, looking for love in that department where like, hey, I'm open for new people to sort of come into my process um, so I can understand and learn more? And if that is the case, like what is your um, dating criteria for releasing strategies and having people <laughs> on, on board with you for that sort of stuff? Yeah, so I guess like um, for me, like the most important thing has just been finding people who I vibe with is like just number one, like people you trust and just a good vibe, I think are the two most key things. And like, like I said, I was, I thought I was really lucky to run into um, you and Carl, like working okay. with you guys on the, on the mixing and mastering. It's just been amazing because yeah, just get like talking to you guys as well about um, dealing with the whole like Chinese sound and you guys are just like latched onto it really fast and just, you know, getting my post sounding really good. So yeah, first of all, thank you guys so much for that. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, yeah, I guess like, I suppose for me, um, there's, there's different aspects to being an artist and a songwriter. So in the songwriting side of things, I, I, I see them kind of inter, interconnected. So anything I do well in one area is going to complement the other area. Okay. If that makes sense. So yeah. recently one big move I've made this year has been signing to OP. Um, a couple of guys, like the one person I knew when I moved to Taiwan, an American guy who does mixing here, is like the top guy in Taiwan. Um, he was working at a studio and they were looking at setting up an OP uh, running through Universal as the SP. And that songwriting wise has given me access to a working in a really like top-notch studio where I can now record and songwrite. And also they have five other writers there. Um, just a really cool mixture of people. So like we have an American guy who's been touring with Chinese artists for the last 10 years in China and Taiwan. Um, we have another guy from Germany who's a 
songwriter. He actually primarily writes in English, but he just brings a kind of like interesting flavor to a lot of the, to the songwriting process. Um, Sean, the guy doing mixing here, he also does a bit of songwriting. We have another writer who's actually also located in Beijing and she's Canadian, Canadian Chinese. And um, we have another writer who's local Taiwanese who does EDM music. So it's just like, just such a cool group of people. And like you said, like, it's all about learning, right? As a musician, you're just always learning and you want to work with as many people and collaborate with as many people as possible to just, you know, create good music and increase your own, I guess, like, whether it be your own, like, sound library or just your knowledge of different genres and how the creative process works. So that's the kind of songwriting side of it. And um, I guess the key is obviously writing songs for big artists. Um, if you're looking at it from a promotional sense, if you get a song synced into a really good show or a movie, or you're working with a really good artist and they want to sing your song, that's going to reflect back on you as a songwriter. And I think also in the Asian market, uh, people are really like the audience will actually look up being be looking up who's writing the songs because unlike Spotify and iTunes on the platforms in Taiwan and China, like the credits pop up with the lyrics before every song. So people always see who's writing the lyrics, who's writing the song before they actually see who's singing the song, which is quite funny, but um, it's also really cool because it gives the credit to those people who deserve it. And um, yeah, obviously there's the artist side. So for me that involved, um, having some guys who I work with who source me clothing, help me get a look together. So a kind of, um, we call it like packaging team, I guess. Oh, so wow. there's the clothing, um, the hair. So clothing and hair, makeup. My girlfriend who's here with me in Taiwan is uh, actually also a makeup artist and a designer. So she does a lot of the, like the recent EP that we finished, she did the whole design for that EP, um, yeah. like the album design. And she does a lot of the video editing, helps me out. She's a godsend when it comes to social media and, you know, sorting out Instagram, YouTube and uploading things and getting all that running. So she's kind of taken on the sort of manager, uh, social media and design area. And then, yeah, it's just about putting out music consistently, um, keeping up with what's trending, various, yeah, different platforms and doing performances when you can, obviously. I mean, I'm really lucky to be in Taiwan right now where COVID hasn't really impacted us at all. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still people out clubbing, going lighthouses and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, super lucky to be in that situation. And yeah, working with other artists, collabing is also key. So just, you know, bringing on other names into your work, featuring on their stuff, then coming featuring with you. Um, yeah, just working with other artists in general, I think is always a great way to, you know, promote yourself and also just create something fresh and cool. Yeah. Something that excited me that you were talking about is your wardrobe. So oh, yeah. <laughs> is, so, so what is, you, you're going to get me sort of like aligned with how wardrobes work with C-pop artists. Cause I know there is a bit of like glam to what's going on. Um, in all Asian pop market world, but is it is it 
you know, like, give me an outline of what it sort of looked like. Is it what's in fashion at the moment that everybody wears? Is it something that is influenced more by the traditional sense of, you know, what people are wearing in China and, 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 and there's sort of parallels drawing on more regal sort of traditional inspiration for the outfits or are the outfits almost like a caricature or an embodiment of the branding of the artist where it's like this person's super crazy. So they're going to have a big lollipop necklace. I don't know. I'm just sort of like, you know, those are the sort of three scenarios, like what's in trend and stylish, a bit more traditional or an embodiment of the character. Like how, how do you see your style or, or the way that sort of operates image rise um, for artists in the C-pop scene? Uh, I think it can be quite different for every artist. I guess like the, the, the key for me is obviously I, I'm a foreigner here. And I guess in the C-pop market, there haven't really been any um, foreign singers that have really established foreign singers that sing in Chinese. So yeah. I guess the key for me and my look has been creating something more so that reflects my music. And um, I guess the, like, the kind of vibe that I want to go for, I, I consider myself to be a relatively like, optimistic person and the music that I'm creating is, I guess, um, keeping to the, like that kind of classier sort of standard. So I guess I, what I want to come up with is just like a really nice, clean look with um, a little bit of edginess to it. Yeah, because you've and got I feel like, like you've got the the white turtleneck um, and the brown sports blazer in one of your photos yeah you know know, like i'm just i'm just going through i'm just i'm just trying to connect visuals with the words and if people are listening you know you know a a collared shirt underneath a a nice jumper and then yeah even even just the tones and colors and textures you know just in in those materials i'm I'm not i'm not a fashion pro i'm just sort of as no i'm I'm also by no means a visually i I consider myself a relatively visually stunted person (laughs) yeah i'm just trying to give people alignment there you know as as you're talking i'm just describing the photos um but yeah you continue on there mate sorry yeah yeah so I, i guess like um that's that's been a kind of another thing coming to taiwan i haven't really had that process before um See, I, I, at the same time, like looking at the C-pop scene, like you're saying, overall in fashion, there's obviously looks that are, are trending. Um, I guess, you know, led by the kind of influ- influencer sort of style. But I, I think it is cool how the various art forms kind of mix together. Like the whole fashion, I, like, I, I very much consider fashion a different kind of art. It's just walking artwork, right? So... I guess it depends on obviously like like anyone in the art scene you've got to be hustling all the time so it's about again like if you're an artist and you have some influence and following there's going to be other people and other art forms like fashion who are looking for those same opportunities that you are and so you know why not help each other out and yeah like at the moment like I can I can surely shout out the guys at Alive You in Taiwan, that's the, the people that I work with, a guy called Zichen. And he's just been awesome. Like I introduced another, another friend introduced uh, me to him, another artist who also does all of his styling through this guy as well. 
and yeah, I'll just like show up to his store whenever, like before a performance and he'll we'll just go through and he'll, you know, just pair up the outfits for me and get me, get me looking good, getting, you know, getting stage worthy, I guess is the, is the phrase. Yeah. So yeah, it keeps my wardrobe updated and, you know, can't be wearing the same thing every time you're on a show. Otherwise, you know, you're it's a little stale. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Awesome. That's really interesting. I, I would never have considered that would enter this sort of discussion. Um, Cause I did see the film clip from that EP. I can't, uh, I think it was Win Shu or, or I, I can't remember the artist's name. Uh, oh, his name was, his name was Wish. Wish. Like, make a, make a wish. Make a wish. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I saw his video clip for Chinese New Year, the one we worked on. And number yeah. one, I love the production. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how involved you got in the production. I th- I'm pretty sure you were doing the songwriting and producing it, but the sound design in it was like. No, I did. Know. I did all the arrangement as well. Oh wow! Okay, good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, Thanks. loved it. But I, I just like visually the the outfits are like super red super clean yeah. <laughs> like um you could just see even like the stiff nut in like the collars and everything of what they were wearing and i'm like wow this is this is intense um and but but it really worked for the music and the image of the music and especially for what it was as well um and it was also very tongue-in-cheek if, if i'll leave a link in the description of that video clip it was really funny because um totally yeah yeah they're getting their red envelopes and one gets like stinged with a 20 cent piece um yeah yeah <laughs> and I, th- I thought that was that was a little bit funny and then wish got like you know a hundred dollar bill or whatever it was in there and he was just hiding it away that was um, yeah yeah that was really funny actually as a creative on that did you have much input to the video clip or that was that was outside of um your world you just did the production on the music for that no wish um wish has been an artist that uh, i met really early on when i was in taipei and we just kind of clicked so yeah, like when we were writing, because um, one, obviously at the time when I'd come to Taipei, I didn't know anyone. Like, I just knew a couple, like one American friend um, here. And, you know, when you're, like, you're in a new place, you don't want to be the guy who's always knocking on your friend's door, like, oh, can you help me with this? Help me with this. So I was just, yeah, yeah like hustling out, trying to make new connections. And um, yeah, I was lucky to meet uh, Wish through another studio. And he was just talking to me, he said, like, I want to put an EP together. And he's got a relatively established fan base here. Um, originally, he was actually in a boy band called GTM in Taipei. And again, like a whole bunch of company drama with, I'll, I'll not go into that. But anyway, he got free out of his contract this year. And he's like, I want to put, a, put an EP out. And yeah, he was talking to me about the direction. Like whenever I'm working with artists, I always like to, you know, talk with them about what kind of sound they're looking for, um, you know, what sort of song or message they want to put out. And um, it just so happened that he recently got involved in a TV show. So he's a regular actor on a TV show here. And they have a, like, a really long-running series, kind of like, I guess, a sort of low production, like similar to Friends, kind of that sort of vibe. Yep. Yeah, so originally it was, it was called Newly Baldao. So the original series was actually about female soldiers and their sort of time in camp. And then afterwards it turned into their relationships after they got out of the army and, you know, their various life dramas and whatnot. And so they had various series. So the first song, oh, the first series was called Zhang Hao Ai Shang Ni, so like, lucky to fall in love with you. 
next one was like Mei Hao de Yue Ding, which was uh, the, the kind of promise. And then the last one was the Chinese New Year. And so we were like, let's just write these songs with the same titles as the TV show. And then we'll, at the same time, we'll pitch them to the TV show and ask if they want to throw them in the throw them in their drama, and they did. So you oh, know, wow. we got yeah, we got all three songs synced into the the TV show, and um, yeah, so that was just like again looking for ways to promote. It, it gave me an, a platform, so you know, when I'm out talking with other artists, I can be like, you know, I produced for this artist now. I've got three songs and a Taiwanese drama, and um, yeah, it was just about trying to create a song that went with the the vibe and that song in particular obviously being a Chinese New Year song was very about that you know with all the red and the um creating those those Chinese instrument noises and soundscapes so that was a that was a super fun process for me because I obviously I've been in um Asia for a long time so you're constantly every year like Christmas songs you hear those songs on the radio and all on the streets playing and I was like, oh, I guess it's time to put my um, my knowledge to the test and create one of my own. So, yeah, and and yeah. I think as well because you're more fresh to it, you're like the oral sensibilities, like what you're hearing when you're hearing that sort of Chinese New Year, aka Western Christian Christmas time sort of sounds. Mm. You get the you tend to pick out the most, um, or I would assume you'd be picking out the most out there sounds the ones that really stand out and and moniker the notes not the more subtle bits but the more like that the the um the 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 gongs and the 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 slapping drums (laughs) like you hear them and you're like wow that's a moniker of that sound i need that so that's why i felt very rich in that um that particular production um but something i want to like circle back to i think maybe 20 minutes ago you might have said it was Mm. um your old production team you know going through the radio route you're just pumping money into it you weren't seeing a return something like this where you have autonomy over that process and that communication with wish to go hey let's write this for the tv series pitch it even long term makes sense for you guys because you know, as, as a sync placement, you're finally seeing an ROI that otherwise you wouldn't see on Spotify or you wouldn't see on a streaming platform. So um, is, is that something that was just sort of haphazard worked for the time? Or is that something that you're very conscious about in your songwriting and when you're working with artists about what happens afterwards with the music? Other than, you know, you've got your social media, get your fan hype, you've got shows which you can do. Um, and you've got your, your streaming platforms that you can make 0.04 cents on um, a stream, are you conscious as a writer of, hey, is this syncable or who am I going to pitch this to? What contacts do I have? What leverage do I have to, to help this actually ret- create a bit of a return on, on investment there? Yeah, I, I think now I'm very focused on that I think earlier in my career I was in Beijing ways like there are a couple songs that just blow off this opportunity when I was just back in New Zealand you know throwing out cover songs online not really thinking about much and um yeah, like that, that was a time when, I mean, I have obviously like there are a few, few regrets I have about that particular time because that was like right at the, 
when, when my videos, my cover songs and things started blowing up originally in China, I just had no concept of the value of a view, I guess. Like I didn't value that audience. And so when I got to Beijing um, and I went sort of more behind the scenes working on various other productions, I sort of neglected that audience and it's been really hard to build back, you know, since things changed so quickly. So whether it be songwriting or even my own music now, I, I actually prefer as a writer to write to a script or write to a, a brief of some kind. Because I, I guess like, I, I think as songwriters, you have the kind of two spectrums where one is like chasing the money and the other is the complete songwriting purist who, you know, has no interest in money. They just want to create music and that that's fine. Like, Either, but I think finding somewhere slightly to the left. So I think finding beauty and, you know, love in the art making process and creating the music, but you want it to be business orientated because what you're doing, you need to make into <laughs> a career and make it financially stable. Right. And I think it's, it's messed up for a lot of artists that, you know, there are these platforms like Spotify that are just screwing artists over in my opinion. So I think it's about being as creative as possible and finding your own routes to monetize your music and fan base. So, yeah, I think going back to original question, yes, I'm like definitely very aware and business orientated now over the last like year and a half and experiencing the things that I have, what I'm doing with my music and why I'm doing it as opposed to just creating something that I like and, you know, hoping it blows up or hoping that people like it. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm curious because, because, because then in, in that case, um, you could almost draw a parallel to that, like being an inventor, you love inventing things. So you can invent the most coolest thing. You can be like, um, I can't remember what that uh, cartoon was as a kid, but you know, it was like the clay animation and he gets out of bed and a machine puts his socks on. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it was Wallace and Grimmett. Oh, yeah, that'd be the yeah. one. Wallace and Grimmett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so you got that. So you got that sort of inventor that that's super creative and he's, and he's inventing things that nobody's going to buy. Like, there's, yeah. no, there's no use to it. Like, it's just like that's your absolute one end of the spectrum as a creator. And it only has value and impact on your own personal value or feeling like it, it doesn't offer any value to anybody else that's that intellectual property the same way all music is intellectual property because you create a song that is inherently intellectual property something unique that creates an experience and impacts people but super creatives might just impact their own self not many other people because it doesn't serve yeah. anybody and then as a so same way as an inventor then you go over to somebody like dyson the Dyson vacuum cleaners, which are incredible, um, or the Apple iPhone, you know, those people might not necessarily have thought, oh, this is the, the most best use of my innovative brain to create something that is purely for my needs. It really does. They really are devices and innovations and inventions that serve the wider market, that serve a purpose in the general community and can give returns. So as a songwriter, when you're thinking about how can this be, you know, a potential sync opportunity or potentially used as an ad place with, with ad placements or in a TV series, you're still having to be creative, 
but you're trying to create a positive impact for more people at once because it's like, hey, this particular song is going to help the narrative in this TV series or this episode of the TV series or this piece of music is going to help enhance the branding for this product. So there's still that creativity, but I just thought that that was an interesting parallel to draw because um, a lot of people feel, or my sort of understanding is I sort of get the sentiment that a lot of people feel that as soon as you start chasing the money, you're being selfish, but it's also a very selfless act because you're trying to create something valuable for more parties than just yourself. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, obviously it's like it's a very good parallel, but the, the problem with music is that it's a non-tangible asset. Yeah, so it's that's, that's yeah. very philosophical. Um, yeah, I remember it's, in it's uni- very difficult to grasp the value of what a song is worth. Right. Yeah, it, it is in that sense. I, I think that's, that's like a really super deep question. We did philosophy as part of our music degree in uni. Mm. And one of the questions was, is musical music tangible or non-tangible? Oh, I see. And what did like, you argue for? I, I can't remember, but I just remember my brain <laughs> absolutely being twisted like I, I had a fucking acid rush or something. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, you're right. That, 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 that does confuse things. But the way I see it is very pragmatic. I look mm. at it as intellectual property. Okay. That, that, that is what it is. And it can affect the conditioning of people who listen to it. Yeah. Simple. The same way you turn on your air conditioning in a hot house. It affects the way people feel in that room. You can put music on and it'll affect the way they feel and it can be accompanied by other oh, people. I like that. Yeah, so yeah. It's yeah. like, so it's like, it's like, it's like, it's, 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 you can get super deep on it and we won't get that deep on it here, but I do see <laughs> it as an asset independent in of itself. Um, and I think it is important. Again, I'm not trying to take your limelight here. I'm just sort of no, no. this idea out. It's just important people respect what they create because a lot of people go, Oh, it's just another song or, Oh, that didn't do so well. It was just my first release. And then they just put it off to the side and bury it. Like it, it, it doesn't have any inherent value just because it didn't get a million streams. doesn't mean that you still don't own that piece of property, which can in the future or can down the line or can even be, you know, given to another artist to re-release with the same hook and melody line and earn you yeah. millions. Like, um, what was the latest one that did that? Um, in your mind, in in my uh, who was the artist? Um, I should know them. Got something like a billion streams. <laughs> oh wow! And I even met I even met the producer who did the original top line, and they live here in Melbourne. I can't. Oh, oh god! I'm sure we'll like come back to you to like. If you keep keep moving, you'll like to spring back into your mind in a second. Oh, the the Dinoro and Gigi D'Agostino remix of In My Mind. Okay. Um, the original artist for that was, or the original writer for that was, and I feel horrible not Ivan Go, who's Melbourne-based producer. Oh, cool. Um, and that that fucking took off. I think it was 2019. It took off <laughs> and it got. What's it got on? I think on YouTube it's got something like half a billion, and then on Spotify, I better get my numbers right here. Jeez. In my mind, GG. Where is it? Spotify. Spotify has a billion, 970 million streams. Oh my gosh. And 
and on YouTube it's got another 900 million streams. And and and, <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying this is I think before this dropped, the original release only had a few hundred thousand streams on YouTube. Mm. So then, like, yeah, that still did Just pretty well. Just the remix, right? No, the original had a few few hundred thousand, but the remix... That's what was, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like so, just because suddenly, like, like, a few years later, and you don't know... Yeah, I've, yeah there's, there's, so many, there's so many situations where things like that have happened. Like, yeah, there was... A, I know, like, there was another artist here that had a... He put an album out in, like, 2016. I only had a few, you know, like, a, a few... Like, 100,000 plays, which wasn't much for, you know, an artist, like a album a record label released artist and then he put out a second album two years later blew up the whole previous album just went through the roof like the previous album did even better than the new album when he put out the second album so you, you know you don't like never look down on your old repertoire because it's new to someone like yeah <laughs> just because you've you heard it a million times like <laughs> yeah and it's not even just the finished product it's a songwriting mm. it's a top line it could be a lyric it, like it, it has inherent value and just because it's released and might not have done well or you might not have the budget to push it right now or might be sitting on a shelf it's still inherently really valuable i i, th I think um artists are the uh, some of, in, in this respect are super lucky because they are able to create intellectual property at will like mm -hmm. you think about it you want to design an iphone case H how much product testing and development has to go into doing something unique in just that space it cost you like eighty thousand a hundred thousand dollars <throat> just to get something to market that's a little bit different yeah whereas exactly. you're like you know and that's the buying level for just a case you're not even you know creating a dyson vacuum cleaner which probably costs like half a million a million <laughs> tens of millions of dollars i don't know but what i'm trying to say is you know music wise you can sit in front of your computer write something and in instantly you've created ip that's yours yeah totally it's like the buy-in is just your time and 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 skill obviously but yeah i'm just i don't know yeah just just putting that out there because i because i think that's that, that's really interesting your sort of take like super creative super business orientated you sort of lean one way and then you know you can draw a whole bunch of parallels and it can propagate out but i, I think there's there's a deep intrinsic value in what what artists do that um in the short term it can be really really difficult to see like you said you spend all this yeah. money with these other two producers and you're trying to put something out you didn't see anything coming down in the short term but if you look at the last five years of your career since you arrived in beijing or started blowing up over there you can obviously see a line going up from even being on those internal social media platforms in China where, you know, you get 230,000 followers on one, 110 on another, 60,000 on another. Within a short period of time, you built up that there. Now you're in Taiwan building it up. You know, you can see an upward, an upward trajectory on the long-term scale, even though on micro instances, things might not have hit. Yeah, I think it all comes down to just respecting your own value and time as well like you said you know yeah and we have to have owls yeah. to our name we have to have some losses like yeah of course nothing like, this this career path is not a straight line like yeah it's not it's not going into a company you start off as the um what do they call it intern right and then you yeah. slowly start an, again in the office then you work your way up to a manager it's, it's not a straight line like music is yeah, you know, <laughs> but, but even then, like there's ups and downs. I just, I just think people have to respect the fact that 
I, I don't want to sound like Gary V or put any of that sort of shit out into the world, but we have to eat it a little bit from time to yeah. time because it's just a natural course number one of life. Like that's just the reality. Not everything is that is in his expectations gonna is gonna meet up in reality. But yeah. also it's like you you got you gotta you gotta like you gotta find the shit to find the gold as well. You know, like you you just you know, I'm really bad at fucking analogies and sayings, but That's fine. You, sort of, yeah. you sort of get where I'm going there. Like you just gotta yeah. it's just part of the process and um yeah. and you learn like if you you learn from it, right? If you if you're digging at the shit, you don't keep digging at the shit. The same pile of shit, you change to another yeah. pile of shit to find that other gold. <laughs> yeah. You're like you just gotta move around a little bit. But um yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's just where it's at so you know i, I think there's a, there's a lot to learn from you and your story um because Christina. yeah there, there's like there's so many layers and i think what's what what's sort of so captivating to you about you sorry is that you're so intrinsically passionate about the c-pop scene and where you've sort of moved to and engage with it's it sort of gives you a fuel and fire that makes makes it very exciting to chat with you because it's, it's sort of like i'll be honest i felt like the whole time i'm talking to you i'm speaking to somebody who was born over there <laughs> like like you like i i never thought oh, I'm, I'm speaking to a new zealander and we're gonna talk about sheep and why why australia is so much better than new zealand because i think i gave you a little <laughs> bit of shit I, I i think i gave you a little bit of shit on the first time we ever caught on the phone like that um I, I honestly didn't feel like doing it right now. It's like, oh wow, no, no, this person, th- this person is um, full Chinese. Um, he just happens to put on a New Zealand accent because he he, he loves New Zealand. Maybe it's the other yeah, way around. I feel like I feel like I'm stuck somewhere in the middle now. Eh? My my mindset is just very orientated over here. Yeah, and, and you so feel it, and, and it's and very passionate, and that's really cool. Actually, out of curiosity, before we wrap things up. How hmm. did you learn Cantonese? Did you learn it before you went over there, or do they speak? Mandarin? Oh, it's ma- Mandarin. Mandarin. Okay, Mandarin. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. D- d- where do they speak Cantonese? Not in, not in China. Hong Kong or... and Guangdong province. Yeah. Okay. So but South get... China. Yeah. But you get away with Mandarin in those sections anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Because Mandarin's like the standardized language, so everyone really has to has to speak it. And and did you learn that before going over there? Did you learn that in uni? Did you grow up around it? Like. How did that sort of happen? Yeah, so for me, like originally when I was in, in high school, I actually was really into, I was I was very, um, I guess on like the nerdy side of things. Like I was into gaming, anime, like that was my, my jam in high yeah. school. And they didn't actually offer Mandarin or Chinese at my high school, so I, I picked up Japanese to begin with. And um then when I got to, I did that, I, I studied Japanese for like three years. And then when I got to university, um, I, I decided at that point, like I was going to do music, like music was going to be my job. I didn't care like where I would end up, but I just knew I wanted to do something in music. So I did the pop music degree at Auckland Uni. And um, at Auckland Uni, they make you do, it's like a general education paper. So you have to pick a general gen ed paper outside of your degree and it, contributes to like the points in your degree so originally i was thinking like oh, i'll do japanese right like i already know japanese and it'll be easy credits and then they searched my record and was like oh you've already studied this you can't pick that i'm like oh okay fine i'm like well i don't really have any japanese friends so i guess i'll pick up chinese like since most of my friends um like the, the college that i went to like 
it was, it was actually funny. Like the white kids were the minority at my high school. Oh, so wow. it was like 70% exchange students and Asian, ethnically Asian people, which was, you know, it was like, it was really cool because it was just a very culturally diverse school. And so I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah, I'll pick up Chinese. And um, yeah, just started getting into it. And yeah, like I said, I think at the start, like um, once I started picking up Chinese and my mates all knew I was doing music, they just bombarded me with like various c-pop jams and tunes and i just sort of started listening to it and i really got into it eh? and that was how it all started it all took off okay. and and you just speak to, it fluently now uh i mean like i'm fluent but there's times when i'm a little lost like it's a it's a very hard language <laughs> yeah no i can imagine yeah. and how does that work for you when you're working with producers and engineers in the studio like the german and the american and at your studio space, are you speaking English or in Mandarin? I guess, it depends on if I'm working with anyone who speaks Mandarin, I'll speak Mandarin. But um, yeah, I guess like one of the, I have another guy at my, one of the, the um, bosses at the studio I work at. Before I signed with them, it was actually when we were working on that, that song, the Chinese New Year song. Yep. He just thought it was so funny because like, he walked in one day on our session and it was the, it was the two artists, right? There was Wish and another guy called uh, Jen Fuga. And he walked in and on this, like me as this foreigner, like instructing these two local Taiwanese singers, how to sing a song in Chinese, <laughs> like instructing them where to put the emphasis on the phrases and like, you know, you know not to mention having like this crazy Chinese new year song produced by a foreigner. So, yeah, I guess like that was the moment when I was like, oh yeah, I guess this is kind of weird, huh? But yeah, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a really fun experience. And, and out of curiosity, do you get many of your of the of your friends or people in your circle that you're getting to meet both in Beijing and in Taiwan, trying to practice their English with you, or are they pretty proficient with their English? I guess like the hardest thing about being a foreigner in Asia, whether like China, Taiwan. Yep. is that you're never really like accepted as just an, like part of their culture or society. Like, sure, I could be a singer, but I'll always be, oh, that foreign guy who sings Chinese okay. songs. Interesting. Yeah, which I think is, again, it's because of the culture and there hasn't been that international openness. Yeah. It has been more so. Taiwan is more open because of the whole you know, America being here and whatnot. And they have had a lot of changes in leadership throughout the time here. But mainland China is definitely, yeah, it's, it's really hard to establish yourself as a, like to get out of that, that foreigner category. That's, that's really interesting. So, yeah, wherever you go, like, you know, I've been living here for, six yeah i've been i've been here for seven years now but every time i get into a taxi it'll be like oh hello like where are you from like the same question i guess like it's it's, it's just weird like you know like i probably speak better chinese than their kids but like they're still asking me like oh how how is taiwan i hope you're enjoying taiwan i'm like bro i live here like <laughs> yeah, and, I, yeah. And, and and for them it's also like i would especially imagine in taiwan where where tourism is is a big part of their economy like there's there's a certain respect though as well because it's like hey you're a tourist you're you're helping our economy we respect we want to make sure you're taken care of in in that sort of sense because um yeah when there's I'm definitely 
there's definitely still like you can you can call it racism to some extent okay um it's 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 more of a like more out of curiosity though it's it's a very benign racism like there's that that kind of white privilege and a lot of chinese and taiwanese get you know very angry at it because they see a lot of people like white people are viewed as this kind of upper class and by some people okay interesting and then yeah again like black people often get a lot of um it'll just be really silly things like like there was an ad that came out of out of china a while ago where there's a they put a black guy into a washing machine and he pops out as this asian guy like this shit like that it's just crazy it blows your mind but it's like they just don't know like it doesn't it doesn't register in their minds. Yeah, like I, so, I, I don't know how that, like, and like you hear all these stories of just white people walking around little cities in China, and then people come up and start taking photos with them or like touching their noses and things like that. That's just some, weird things that's like that. Really peculiar. Yeah, that's but some, like I said, it's it's getting much better now that everything is kind of opening up and there's more access to media from around the world and education improves so i guess it's like you know it's it's just a process yeah that's really yeah. Do, do you think that that benefits you or hinders you as an artist and your image in there do you think people see you as like is that a point of difference that it's like this person is is clearly different from the market we're interested in him because that that he's so different or do you think it's a hindrance where people have those prejudices and they're going oh no i don't want to listen to that or 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 you know, he wise like like you said, you were instructing those two artists in the studio. You know, is there sort of a frown down, or do you think that that it's a difference that works in your favor? I think, like most things, it's it has its it's like a double edged sword, right? Yeah. So, as the foreigner who sings like fluent Chinese, it immediately catches people's attention, right? Okay. So, I, yep. I definitely stand out of the crowd in that aspect. Yep. Um, also, because of my cultural understanding of you know, Western music that I was brought up on and the music that I have learned about and really dived into the culture here, I can create things that other people can't in terms of melody, rhythm, and combining those two things together. So I I can create a very unique sound that a Western person or a solely Western or um, Chinese, ethnically Chinese person could not produce. So I I can kind of put things together in that aspect. However, the downside being is that a lot of times, like if I approach a record label, they'll be like, oh, foreigners, no, we don't know. We don't know what to do with you. Like, no, there's not been any like foreigners here before who have come out as singers. And you're all like, oh, like when I release a song, I'll be like, oh, this foreigner sings good Chinese. And that's kind of like the comment that you see the most. Okay. So it's like, yeah, it's really hard to be accepted as a, as part of the society in that aspect. Yeah. But, but I can also see that you know any resilience through that will only sort of like embed or ingrain um your image more strongly in a positive way i think if that makes sense like if if, if, if you stuck at it you know eventually people would have to go hey why are we going to keep saying that we know he's a good singer? Like we know he can sing well in Cantonese. Okay. We need to get over that. And now we have to look at the music sort of thing. So it's like, I, I think your ability to be resilient and, and stick through that will also be like 
a huge asset to you and how you navigate it. I, that, that, that's that's what I believe. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's complete bullshit, but um, that's just how I feel about it in terms of a, a very far outsider from that world. Yeah, I think like most things, it's, about, it's, it's just about consistency. And um, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's, it's like, I think it's a, to do with this, how the society changes as well different influ- external influences on things. And um, yeah, it's just going to be a bit of a process. I think that I, I'm, like I said, I think my intentions are very much to respect and embrace the culture rather than look at it from a, you know, sort of like opportunity, opportunistic standpoint. Yeah. So okay. yeah. I want to be as like respectful as I can. Like there are obviously certain things that would be inappropriate for me to like, for me to sing. I mean, not like in a, a racist or that sort of sense. It just, you know, like I, I need to establish my own image and yeah, I think, I think that's just going to take a bit of time. Yeah. That, that's really yeah. interesting. That's, um, that, that's really interesting that. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just sort of like absorbing that aspect of it because it's 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 like really multi it's just really yeah it's a very weird it's a very weird kind of situation yeah. to be in I yeah because speaking to you like you, you don't as i said before and you, you're not new zealander anymore bro it's like you know all, all all the sheep all the sheep herding is like completely washed off you now oh bro don't freeze up again Just gotta turn your mic on. There we are. Sweet. Okay. There we are. Sweet. Sorry, my um internet. I, I think it's actually Zoom doing it, not Yeah, it might be. It's it's always a little bit dodge when you're calling long distance. Yeah. Someone's internet will have a hiccup. That's all good. Um anyway, what we might do is we might end up wrapping up the podcast here. Um, yeah, all good, man. It's been it's been really cool talking to you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. It's it's always fun to have a good chat, and I think um I've learned an incredible about about what's happening in your world and how things sort of happen after mastering for somebody in the c-pop scene um but i just want to say thank you thank you so much for coming on i really really appreciate your time okay thanks man no it's been worries. awesome um and if anybody wants to there'll be links to all of lawrence's spotify socials in the description go check him out and um yeah enjoy the podcast subscribe and until next time take care Cheers, mate. It's always a pleasure working with you. So I'll look forward to sending you through some more tracks as well very soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it.